Walsh University is hosting virtual information sessions on Saturday, June 27th for their Master of Occupational Therapy and Doctor of Physical Therapy programs. Both programs were named among U.S. News and World Report's top 30 jobs for 2020. Walsh's accredited and renowned programs provide students with a broad range of clinical experiences and offer opportunities to complete research alongside a faculty member. For meeting times and to register, visit walsh.edu slash gradinfo. This is Ed McMahon, and now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Thanks for tuning in the Armstrong and Getty Show. John Phillips is filling in for us today. He's a good dude. Be nice to him. Good morning. Armstrong and Getty speak the truth. It is John Phillips on loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles. In for the duo today. And I love the fact that they kick off the show Monday morning with the Ric Flair intro. Very few people can pull that off. It's Armstrong and Getty, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and Ric Flair. Anything that's good enough for Ric Flair is fine with me. Positive Sean is joining us. Positive Sean, how was your weekend? Oh, it was, uh, it was a good one. A good one all, all the way around. Uh, once again, was was swimming through various videos of uh, protests going around the country, and some of those crowds were ginormous. It's hard to stay positive when you're looking at some of the violence, isn't it? Oh, certainly, certainly. It, to a po- I'm looking at Twitter videos to a point that's probably detrimental to my own mental health, but I keep going back because of some semblance, and I think it's for work or something. And also, I'm just I'm I'm fascinated by it as hard as a lot of it is to watch. Now, here's what I've been doing over the weekend, because it's a one-story country right now. We're talking about the protests, we're talking about the civil unrest, we're talking about the riots, the looting, whatever you want to call it. So on the weekends, I've decided that at least in the mornings, I'm going to do what I can do to take my mind off of it, because you have to mentally escape. And typically, Positive Sean, one of the things that I do to try to just break away from the news cycle under normal circumstances is I like to go to Major League Baseball games. I share a season ticket package to the Angels and go to many games every season. Can't do that. I'm a big movie fanatic, so I'll go to my local movie theater and I'll watch one or two movies a week where you just shut your brain off for two hours and you just get fully engrossed in some other story. But we can't do that because of the Rona. So what I've been doing, Positive Sean, is I've been going out and golfing in the mornings on the weekends. And I've been using that as my outlet to just shut my brain off for a couple of hours. Just unplug for a little bit. Yes. Now, the problem in Southern California is 
the Coachella Valley was a wind tunnel this weekend. So playing golf this weekend was like playing golf in the middle of the tornado scene in The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> so you'd get the ball up in the air, and you'd just really cream it. It'd be going right down Broadway. And then it would get in that wind tunnel, and it would end up somewhere near Blythe. So that didn't work out this weekend. But you have to try to take your mind off the news cycle, even if it's just for a little bit. Otherwise, you'll go absolutely nuts. And it seems like every time you turn the television on, every time you turn the radio on, every time you click refresh on your newspaper, the story gets more bonkers. So over the weekend, I finished playing golf, and I came home, and I get a call from a friend of mine. And my friend says, John, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, the Democrats now want to get rid of the police. I said, get rid of the police? He said, yeah, get rid of the police. And I said, like the band? And he said, no, 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 like the Andy and Barney, the cops. They want to get rid of the cops. Thought to myself, that can't be. First of all, first thing that popped into my mind, what are the village people going to do? They're going to have to get rid of the cop. Maybe they'll replace him with a community organizer. So that's the first thing that's going to have to happen. But you get rid of the cops, you're going to have complete chaos. And I thought, all right, well, this has got to be just some crazy AOC thing where they have no ability to do this. And then I start looking it up. Not only does L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti want to defund the police, so does New York Mayor Bill de Blasio. So we're not talking about nuts on the fringe with no power. We're talking about the mayors of the first and second most populated cities in the country. Then, if you turn to the epicenter of all of this madness, which is Minneapolis, Minnesota, there is a supermajority on the Democrat-controlled city council to do the same thing. So it's not... Nuts on Twitter saying we need to get rid of the cops. It is elected officials with the power to do that. The mayor of Minneapolis, who, if you haven't seen these videos over the weekend, I mean, this guy has more straight-to-video classics than Chuck Norris. You look at some of these videos of him dancing in the streets, I guess, as part of a Friday Night Lights thing. First of all, he's dressed like a woman from the 1980s who's teaching aerobics. I don't know what he did to these jeans that he's wearing, but it looks like he's wearing women's jeans, and he's got them rolled up at the bottom like he's Kelly Kapowski from Saved by the Bell. And he's out in this T-shirt that is so tight. It's one of these things where I don't even think it was cold that night, but his nipples could cut glass. The shirt was that tight. So he's out dancing in the street looking like a fool. And he thought that he was going to be America's favorite progressive mayor. He thought he was just going to ride this wave all the way to the U.S. Senate, all the way to the Minnesota governor's mansion, someplace with a high office. And now everything is falling apart. And this left-wing woke mayor, and he looks like a, a student council president at some small liberal arts school where everyone's woke. But suddenly, this guy is actually the mayor of a major city, and he has power. And he's at the eye of this storm. And he thinks, because he's woke, and he is left-wing, 
that the people who are protesting in the streets, the Black Lives Matter crowd, they're going to embrace him. And that's not what happened. Because even as left-wing as he is, he's not left-wing enough for them. They want to get rid of the police department, along with a supermajority on the city council. He's not quite there yet. So he shows up to a rally this weekend thinking that he is going to be given a hero's welcome. And the opposite took place. The protesters put him on the spot and said, you're up for re-election. We want to know if you're going to get rid of the police, yes or no. And that was moments before the walk of shame. Let's go ahead and listen. They get in his face, they curse him out, they kick him out of the rally, and he's thinking to himself, why couldn't I have been the mayor of St. Paul? It's right next door. Such a lovely bucolic community. No, I had to move to Minneapolis. And they kicked him out. What a mess it is in the state of Minnesota right now. We've got you covered all day today with great guests, who are, one of whom, by the way, is in Minnesota who is observing all of this very up close and personal. His name is Max Reimer. He's the Republican National Committeeman from the state of Minnesota. He's going to be here today. Also, Eddie Scary from the Washington Examiner is going to talk to us about the media reaction to all of this madness and, of course, much, much more. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Strong and Getty 
Jack and Joe with the day off today. Filling in admirably is the one and only John Phillips. John. Thank you very much, Positive Sean. Positive Sean also speaks the truth. It's John Phillips on loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles. In for Armstrong and Getty. You can listen to me in L.A. from noon to 3 or worldwide at KABC.com. You can also read my newspaper column and all the Southern California newspaper groups, uh, group newspapers. I write it once a week for the L.A. Daily News, the O.C. Register, the Riverside Press Enterprise, and not to be forgotten, the Redlands Daily Facts, among other newspapers. Now, positive, Sean. If all of a sudden you wake up tomorrow morning and the cops don't exist, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? Uh, well, I need to get a gun. <laughs> I mean, as somebody who is, you know, not a a, a big like I am a I'm a I understand the importance and a, a supporter of the Second Amendment. Just me personally, I've never really been much of a gun guy. I've shot a couple shotguns doing a skeet or trap shooting. I forget which one it was uh, with uh, with some hunting friends of mine. Uh, just not much of a gun guy. But if that if I were to wake up and that was my new reality, I'd I'd call my friends who are gun guys and you know start taking gun training and figuring out what I need to do to to better protect myself. Now, that is not an irrational thought. In fact, it's quite rational. And a bunch of things popped into my mind when I was thinking about what a world without police would look like. The first thing I thought was, what's Ford Motors going to do with all those Crown Victorias? (laughs) I don't think I've ever seen someone driving a Crown Victoria who's not a cop. Second thing I thought of is, what's going to happen to all the donut shops? Do not buy stock in Winchell's right now. They're going to be hurting. And the third thing I thought was what's going to happen if someone breaks into my house? Because right now, if someone breaks into my house, I am armed. So that's an option for sure. But the first thought that would occur to me would be if someone's not pointing a gun at me or I don't feel like my life is in danger, the first thing I'm going to do is call the cops. Because it may be some drunk who thinks he's in the right house and it turns out it's the wrong house. It could be a relative of mine who was trying to wake me up, who couldn't successfully wake me up. Probably not, but who knows. So it's always safest if you are in a safe place to call the cops to take care of a situation exactly like that. Well, that question was posed to the president of the Minneapolis City Council, who has a supermajority on the council to disband the cops, here's the question and answer. Let's listen. What Cut 12. in the middle of the night my home is broken into? Who do I call? Yes, I mean, I, I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors. And I know, and, and myself too, and I know that that comes from a place of privilege because for those of us for whom the system is working, I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in that reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. And so in the very immediate, we have to lean into whatever changes we can make in our existing police department. You know, I think we look to cities like Camden, New Jersey, that completely restructured their department as we build up systems. And we've already done that. We have, we are not starting from scratch. We have invested in community-based safety strategies. We have knowledge in our community across the city We've done an analysis of all the reasons people call 911 and have looked at ways we can shift the response away from armed police officers into a more appropriate response for mental health calls. 
um, for some domestic violence calls, for um, health-related issues. Is she on drugs? Seriously. I want to look at her pupils and see if they're dilated. Somebody get a cup. We need to take it to the lab. It sounds like she honestly believes that, which is the crazy part. If your home gets broken into and you want to call the cops, you're exercising your privilege? Are you kidding me? Part of the problem with policies like this is going to be that they are going to absolutely destroy that city. If they get what they want, Minneapolis is going to be a war zone. And what's going to happen is you're going to see a mass exodus of people. They're going to move to the suburbs. They're going to move to other states. They're going to move to other parts of the country because they need to go where it's safe. But the problem with political socialization is they're going to take their politics with them. This woman is not capable of seeing the light. It's just not going to happen. She is brainwashed, and she believes the BS that she's putting out in the public sphere. So what's going to happen is you're going to have people who think exactly like that moving to the suburbs and other states and voting for people who think like that because they're not going to make the connection that these horrendous policies that they imposed ruin their city. They're going to come up with other excuses as to why they're leaving Minneapolis. Well, you know, the arts program in this particular school district is better than what they offer in Minneapolis, so that's why we're getting out. Not because your home has been broken into 45 times in the last three months. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Much more is coming up. Don't go anywhere. Armstrong and Getty. John Phillips. John Phillips. Everybody. John's filling in for us today. Good dude. Hope you like it. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. You can get me on Twitter at Johnny Don't Like. Eddie Scary is a columnist for the Washington Examiner. You can follow him on Twitter at eScary. He's kind enough to join us. Eddie, thank you so much for stopping by. Hey, happy to be here. So, Eddie, as you watch the news coverage of the rioting, of the looting, of the protests, of the civil unrest, of the insane response to everything I just described from various layers of government, one of the things that's a constant is the news media. The news media in all of this has picked a side, and they're not particularly shy about letting you know that they've picked a side. They believe, as we saw from this recent snafu on the New York Times editorial page, that not only is there only one acceptable position to take, anyone who doesn't agree with them not only is wrong, but deserves to be canceled. Can you explain to us what just happened at the New York Times and give us your thoughts on why this is occurring nationwide? Well, it's the same thing that kind of animates 
I shouldn't say kind of, it explicitly animates every single major national story that is covered by the national press. And I talk about this at great length in my book, Privileged Victims. Um, but it's, it's, it's now, it's, it's not really about covering the news as you kind of see it, which oftentimes is very interesting. The complications to this George Floyd story and what it means and, you know, uh, what could be done different in different, um, cities with their police forces around the country and what policies could be put into effect why is it why did this happen in a very very liberal city why are all the major protests that are burning throughout the country happening in very liberal cities all of these things are are pretty fascinating and would be interesting stories in and of themselves but the way that the national press looks at all this stuff is what is the moral call that we have to make here which what is where are we going to come down morally on this not so much are we going to cover the story and all of its complications and all of its fascinating detail which a lot of readers i think would be interested to hear about we do it pretty well at the washington examiner actually you go to our home page you'll see all kinds of different things that you wouldn't see elsewhere and you and i were just talking about this you can get it from other local local websites local newspapers local tv channels you'll see a lot more interesting details about what's going on in really any any story that's covered on a national scale but um you get down to the local ones you get you get a lot more information a lot more interesting information um so that's that's what you're seeing with the the, the, the otherwise general national press it's coming down on a moral uh, they, they need to pick the moral side of this, and you know, and they're like you just said, there aren't really two sides. They have to make the moral call here. So you're not really seeing so much news, actually. You're just seeing a lot of um, where, where, who, who, which side are we on morally? And if you're not on that side, you're wrong. And at the New York Times, they recently allowed Senator Tom Cotton, who's a Republican from Arkansas, to write a piece for their paper. And by the way, I didn't know this, but apparently the op-ed page editor at the New York Times is the brother of Michael Bennett, who's the Democratic senator from Colorado who briefly ran for president and got crushed. I think he dropped out after New Hampshire. But they allowed Tom Cotton to write a piece that essentially said, yes, we should use the military to gain control of American cities. And there was mutiny at the paper. Right, and I, and I always find that to be very unseemly. I even use it to remind my own colleagues at the Washington Examiner that this is um, Exhibit A-19 um, and never publicly criticizing your employer or your colleagues. It just always looks so bad. Um, and then you end up, look, look, this guy now has lost his job. Um, and the whole thing, the, the top-to-bottom story there about you know, um, why did we publish this? Well, it was it didn't undergo the thorough process. So now we're going to completely rearrange the way we do opinion pieces. We're going to do less opinion pieces. And you know, right now this is this is an environment where everyone wants more content, and everyone every outlet news outlet feels the pressure to put out more content. So for the, the our most important newspaper in the country to say, or even the world to say. Uh, we're going to do less um, was kind of startling. But then, you know, they have these, these little town halls where uh, the, the staff at the New York Times, they all get together and get to ask their editors questions, supervisors questions about, you know, what happened. And they, they even said that at this town hall, they, it, it was not really a matter of, um, of making the wrong judgment call or uh, unthorough vetting or unthorough editing or not knowing what they were doing. They commissioned the piece. They asked Tom Cotton to write this specific thing for them, that, which is not to say they went to him and said, can you write a piece that says the military should 
<laughs> should invade countries. I think they knew that this was or invade cities. I think they knew that this was um, a subject that was being talked about. President Trump was talking about it. So they went to the person who probably likely would make that case and didn't believe it when he said, oh, yeah, I can do that. They ran it. And I, 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 I think that you could do a poll. I haven't seen any polls on this, and maybe there are, but a lot of the country feels this exact same way. And so for the New York Times to say, in essence, we don't care that they feel this way. We don't care that there's a, a sizable, if not half, or the majority of the country, at least, you know, a, a significant portion of the country feels this way. And to say, no, well, you know what, that's not right. That, that's not an opinion we need heard in our, in our newspaper. Um, it's pretty shocking. We're speaking with Eddie Scary, author of the book Privileged Victims, available online at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, all the usual places. Eddie, in your book, you talk about this culture that we live in where everyone gets a trophy, everyone's great, no one can get criticized, and people live their entire childhood, childhoods being raised that way. And Adults, I think, have always assumed that when these people graduate from college, when they get real jobs, when they have families, when they become homeowners, when they become business owners, they will grow out of this and reality will finally set in. But you look at the mayor of Minneapolis and you look at people who write for the New York Times who can't stand working with someone who thinks differently than them on a subject that they care about. Is this now the woke world that we're going to live in, where these people aren't getting with the program, these people aren't understanding reality, and they're bringing this helicopter parenting, everyone gets a trophy, woke culture with them to their adulthood? Well, you said they won't get with the program. The point I'm making in my book is that this is the program or is quickly becoming the program. Yes, exactly that. And there's a lot of terms for it. You Woke, woke culture. Um Everyone gets a trophy, political correctness. There's all these terms that actually all comes down to one thing, and it's social justice. That's an ideology that's pushed um, by the, who I describe in my book. I call them the culture fascists. That's academia, the national media, it's Hollywood, and it's much of, much of um, uh, political Washington, particularly the Democratic Party. Um, so they push this message. Um, they, they, they see that it, this is the way the country should be run, where certain people who they say, you know what, th- those people have been victims throughout life, victims based on their race, their gender, their sexuality. Um, and so, you know, it's their turn. So uh, the straight white man, you, or whoever we're going to deem today to have too much privilege, you need to step aside. These, the, the people that we're deeming to be the victims who are an inherently moral, perceived to be inherently moral by the culture fascists who I talk about in my book, they're the ones that need to be elevated. So this is the way things are, are, are quickly becoming, this is becoming the new normal, yes. Okay, so what you just described, straight white male with privilege, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We hear this all the time. Uh, this is the, the power structure uh, that these activists want to take down. Their nominee is Joe Biden who's an 80-year-old, straight, white, male Catholic who's been in the U.S. Senate for 952 years. How do they reconcile that position with Joe Biden as their nominee? Because it's not so much, it's not that you have to fit a particular, in many cases, fit the particular um, identity description. It's that you have to acknowledge that that you are are subservient to it. That's why immediately, it was right before he even came out as, um, as, as saying he was actually going to run for president. He went on a tour saying basically there's, there are too many straight, uh, there are too many old white men calling the shots. So there he is acknowledging this, this power dynamic that, that is 
reinforced over and over and over again in our culture and to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm basically bending the knee to this. I'm acknowledging this. Um, and you know, it was what what we watched, what we all witnessed throughout the Kavanaugh process. This was another straight white male. Uh, believe all women was was very convenient right up until it wasn't, and that happened that coincided with Joe Biden's um, coming nomination. Um, but so again, he doesn't have to be. And in, in, in other cases, it's not just him, but you don't necessarily have to. Um, fit the mold of you know of, of someone you might have deemed have been a victim of their um, race, their gender, their sexuality. But so long as you say you're subservient to the cause, you're you're um, you are you buy into the social justice ideology. That's enough, at least for now. Okay, here's Joe Biden's problem, though. You have certain Democrats who have a particular ideology, and they've been pretty consistent throughout their career. Joe Lieberman has always been on the conservative side of the Democratic Party from the time he got elected. Nancy Pelosi has always been on the liberal side, and Maxine Waters has been on the liberal side of the Democratic Party since they've been elected. They've been very consistent. Joe Biden is just a machine Democratic politician who says whatever Democrats are saying at the time. And when he first got elected to the U.S. Senate, and it was an old boys club, he hung out with all the segregationist Southerners because they were backslapping him and he was having cocktails and smoking cigars with them. Then in the 90s when Clinton was there and tough on crime and welfare reform was the Democratic mantra, Joe Biden was saying those things and doing those things and voting that way. And now that the Democratic Party is woke, Joe Biden's woke, and he's saying the same things as the people in the streets. The minute they start looking at what Joe Biden was doing in the 90s and what Joe Biden was doing in the 80s and what Joe Biden was doing in the 70s, that's going to be a very difficult pill for them to follow or to swallow. And no one is focusing on Joe Biden right now. Everyone's focusing on what's going on in the streets and to the extent that they're paying attention to politics at all. It's what's going on in those cities. And with President Trump, Joe Biden is an afterthought. What's he going to do when people start pulling up his quotes from the 90s and people start pulling up what he did in the 80s, and that becomes a real problem for him? Yeah, I think that's that, that. I've been thinking about that a lot because right now we're not looking at the face-off that we will be seeing come, I, I would guess, probably in three months or at the, at, at the very latest when the official nominating process undergoes when we finally, you know, Joe Biden officially becomes the nominee. Um, right now we're not looking at the face-off that is coming, which will be when... Uh, Biden has to answer to Trump's attacks and and so forth and so on and 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 his and, and Trump's entire machine apparatus, which is massive. Um, it's the RNC, but his his own campaign uh, reelection operation is massive, and they are very very smart, particularly when it comes to online stuff and rapid response, sending out, getting out messages, looking back through. Um, do, doing the research that goes back through his record and putting new and relevant stuff out, making it relevant again. Um, so, you, right, I think we're not seeing Biden right now. He's benefiting from hiding. And right now the White House is very much still dealing with uh, the coronavirus. They're dealing with these protests. Um, but once we get back to – once we get – you know, things die down a little bit, and they are forced to kind of go back and forth, and we're, have to, we're having to kind of narrow it down and look at them. But what the media does right now is on the rare occasion where Joe Biden does come out of his basement, where he's perpetually in a suit for some reason, um, he, he, said, he gives a speech, and the, the media said, picks the one part that maybe he sounds good in, maybe it sounds nice, 
But they skip over everything else. I mean, I, I think I can't get over what he said uh, the, the, his George Floyd remarks that he gave recently. He said, "Well, maybe police need to be trained to shoot people, shoot people in the leg instead of shooting, instead of killing them outright." <laughs> I mean, the whole thing was just ridiculous. And, and I've I've come across other clips where he's done interviews and he just sounds. He said he he answers a, a perfectly reasonable, easy question, and his answer is is completely nonsensical. So he's benefiting from the hiding, and I think exactly what you were just saying is that once it comes time to having to answer for his record, we get a closer look at, at him and less about the COVID stuff, the George Floyd protest. It's going to be a whole different ball game. I think while he's been on lockdown, he's been binge-watching old westerns. That's how we got the lying dog-faced pony soldier. He wants people to get shot in the wing. He's not making sense. Eddie Scary, columnist for the Washington Examiner. You can follow him on Twitter at eScary, and you can get his book, Privileged Victims, at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or your favorite bookstore if that's open. Eddie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, John. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. More coming up in moments. Don't go anywhere. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Jack and Joe taking a day off, filling in for him today. It's John Phillips. John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Positive Sean, thank you for the intro. And I want to correct something I said earlier in the show, because we always want to make sure we're factually correct. Positive Sean, when we came in, I said the music was from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and it's from 2001, A Space Odyssey. I got, I knew that it was from a movie, but I called it the wrong movie that has a two in it. Thankfully, I didn't call it Superman 2. You, you were at least in the same neighborhood of movies. Yeah, I didn't pick a movie with a four in the title. It was a two. So I got close enough. Now, Positive Sean, with this pandemic... The COVID-19 pandemic that has caused all kinds of businesses to be shut down, including in the state of California, movie theaters. AMC, one of the big movie theater chains, says that they could be on the front door of bankruptcy. And that doesn't surprise me because you hear about certain businesses being allowed to open, at least in a limited capacity, restaurants, bars, uh, hair salons, that sort of things. I think next week in California, gyms will be able to open as well. What do you think is going to happen to all the movie theaters? Do you think they're going to be allowed to open sometime soon, or do you think they're done? Um, I, I feel like they will be allowed to reopen, but the long, I, I am not very bullish on movie theaters in general. I think they will still exist in some ways for your biggest of blockbusters, right? Like a, a whatever the next uh, you know big Marvel Avengers movie style thing is, or a new Star Wars thing, right? I still think those gigantic kind of blockbustery movies will exist, but the, the gap has closed and closed so much between people's at home experience and the the theater experience. Of a lot of these kind of mid-budget movies that people just enjoy and like and, and want to go see, it just doesn't make sense to to go see it at the theater, especially as more production companies are uh, finding avenues to release directly to consumers via their own streaming devices or just a pay-as-you-go model, which happened with a, a couple of movies during this pandemic. Now, don't you like the ritual of going to the movie theater? And I say that because 
When I go to the movie theater, it's an event. I get the big thing of popcorn, and I put tons of butter, tons of salt on it. I get a Coke that's big enough for Michael Phelps to swim laps in. I get my raisinettes, and I am good to go. And I just psychologically love going into a big, dark room that's nice and cool, especially when it's very hot here in Southern California, and watching a movie and just escaping the world for a while. I love that. The same reason I love going to baseball games. And if you have cable, you can pretty much get any baseball game you want, or basketball game, or football game, or whatever, and it's like you're, you've got front row Bob Euchre seats. I guess Bob wasn't in the front row, but you can see all the action. You're right there. But I like going to the game. I like eating the peanuts. I like having the beer. I like eating the hot dog. I like being around other fans, other people who are into the game. So maybe, Positive Sean, what's going to happen is it's going to be left for the people who like the ritual, and everyone else is just going to sit at home and watch it. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the business model would have to adjust, because I feel like you're, you're dealing with a smaller scale of audience there. What do you do with the space if it doesn't bounce back? I, I think the future of malls and kind of strip malls in America are some sort of activity-based thing. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be a, a home for retail just because I don't see how you compete with Amazon. Um, just for lazy examples, like the, the escape rooms or these places where you can go and, and play, uh, you can rent an hour of virtual reality play. They, they, they're they're going to have to be event-based things. Movies kind of play in that, but I think they're going to have to do more to differentiate the at-home experience. And it, of course, is not just the movie theaters that the malls may see go away. It's department stores, which we've seen file for bankruptcy. You know, Sears, JCPenney. I mean, you think about when you were a kid and we had Mervins and Robinsons and May Company, all these companies that have either merged or don't exist anymore. All right. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. We have much more. Coming up, including Max Reimer, who is the RNC committeeman from the state of Minnesota. He's right at the epicenter of all of the madness. He's our eyes and ears on the ground. Make sure you stick around for that. Much more coming up. Armstrong and Getty. Walsh University is hosting virtual information sessions on Saturday, June 27th for their Master of Occupational Therapy and Doctor of Physical Therapy programs. Both programs were named among U.S. News and World Report's top 30 jobs for 2020. Walsh's accredited and renowned programs provide students with a broad range of clinical experiences and offer opportunities to complete research alongside a faculty member. For meeting times and to register, visit walsh.edu slash gradinfo. 